0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We're really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We had already recorded a show for today, and it's possible some of the topics that we discussed in that recording will pop up again either tomorrow or, or sometime later on. But, Jim, as we were recording that, we are, of course, keeping an eye on the uh, precarious health, as reported, of Queen Elizabeth II. And now here, mid-afternoon, just shy of uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we find out that Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch in British history, one of the longest reigning monarchs in any country's history, in um, recorded history, has passed away at the age of 96. She took the throne in February of 1952. Uh, upon the death of her father, King George VI, who you might remember being profiled in the King's Speech and so forth. Seventy years, uh, just absolutely amazing. Married for more than that to to Prince Philip, who died last year. In that time, we just mentioned earlier in the week, 16 prime ministers just installing Liz Truss two days ago, in fact. Fourteen presidents of the United States. And so, Jim, uh, we marveled at at one point... um, not that long ago, I guess, where she made a mention in a speech that the first time she had talked to the British people in a national address had been 80 years earlier uh, during World War II in 1940. So there's a many different ways we could go in our discussion today. But uh, for most people, this is the first day they've ever known where Queen Elizabeth wasn't on the throne of England.
1: Yeah, no, folks to whom they have uh, memories of another member of the uh, royal family being on the throne are really, you know, few and far between this morning when the news were broke that, uh, there was concern about her health and that members of the Royal family were racing back to be with her, uh, a very strong indicator that her end was near, uh, somebody emailed me and said, ah, you know, this is so sad. And, and, and it is indisputably sad at age 96, we can't exactly find it shocking, but. As much as, you know, the British people are sad and the family is sad and everybody else is just um, this long expected and I suspect dreaded day is here. Boy, you want to talk about living a full life Um, and just, you know, every by every conceivable measure, um, living a consequential life. And I think one that many folks left, right and center will find something to admire. They'll probably find decisions or moments where they didn't necessarily agree with her. Um, But just a uh, just an icon uh, and somebody who uh, you wouldn't even say defines an era, defines multiple eras. And it's very um, almost strange to get your head around the idea of a world without Queen Elizabeth, uh, seven decades. One of the in fact I was looking at a description here and it said 15 prime ministers. They hadn't updated the number from uh, two days ago. (laughs) Um, And just so much changes she saw over her seven decades on the throne. Uh, Just mind-boggling and just a a woman of our age.
0: No doubt about it. And she actually was a World War II veteran, the last World War II veteran to be a head of state. She was in the motor pool. According to many different stories, she could fix an engine as well as anyone, which is not what you would expect of of royalty necessarily. But uh, uh, she certainly was capable in that department. She was great for morale uh, for England when they desperately needed it during World War II, talking to the children, like we mentioned earlier in that speech and so many other moments. Uh, I think she carried herself with with dignity a lot. Um, Younger generations of her family Family, maybe not so much. But uh, she was always a steadfast ally of the United States. I can't remember a time in my conscious memory, at least, Jim. I'm sure she disagreed on policy at times. And, you know, once she defers to the prime minister, the, the prime minister generally makes those decisions. So I'm sure she disagreed with uh, her own government's uh, policies from time to time. But I don't ever remember her publicly castigating the United States, even when we were doing something controversial. Um, I I do remember, and I was reminded of that on Twitter today, that the day after um, 9-11, she ordered um, her musicians for the first time in 600 years to play the national anthem of a different country, and that was the Star-Spangled Banner. And so You know, somebody who uh, embodied tradition and the the tradition of the monarchy earlier today, somebody I respect greatly, said she was our last link to sanity. I don't know if that was specifically related to the royal family or just a link to a time where things were handled with much more sanity than they are in today's politics. Uh, You know, when you think of um, our our best friends on the world stage as, as the United States, the British are certainly that. So, boy, what else can you say? I mean... For 70 years, I can't think of a time where she caused the United States any problems. And in those moments where we really needed her support publicly and otherwise, uh, Queen Elizabeth was there for us. Uh, We do have a sponsor today, and so uh, even with this breaking news, uh, we need to talk about that, and we're glad to have Nutrafol on board. Uh, You do not have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness.
1: Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Physician formulated using natural medical grade ingredients, Nutrafol's drug-free patented technology provides consistent reliable results. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months.
0: You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support for our show by going to Nutrafol.com slash men and entering the promo code Martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled nutrafo dot slash men, promo code Martini jim what else is coming to your mind as this this news soaks in
1: you know I, was, I i find myself thinking of the 2006 film the queen uh about the events surrounding the death of uh, princess diana in 1997 and helen mirren who was playing queen elizabeth and it was kind of meant to be a behind the scenes look and people said it was was reasonably accurate and i think it was very interesting portrait of someone you know literally raised in a different era and different values and this tradition of british stoicness in the face of hardship and this idea of not necessarily showing that much emotion uh certainly in public and maybe not even showing that much emotion in private while um you know while she had been in buckingham palace and been living this life of a as a royal Um, the culture changed, obviously here in the United States, but also over there in the UK. And I don't know if you want to call it the oprification. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it, it suddenly became much more acceptable to not really, merely show your emotions in public, but to really almost showcase your emotions in public. And there was this, you know, uh, as many people remember, this unbelievable outpouring of grief and disbelief when Princess Diana was killed. And you know, Queen Elizabeth came under a considerable amount of grief for that, uh, a considerable amount of criticism, under this perception that she was not showing, and that she was not, um, that she seemed cold. You know, that she seemed uncaring about the death of her daughter-in-law and the uh fact that her grandsons would be raised without a mother and and all of that and i I think the portrayal of helen mirren in that film was meant it would have been very easy to make her a stock villain right the 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 mean mother-in-law the know, and just kind of this recognition that no this was part of a different way of life it didn't necessarily say it was a better way of life i think there's some americans who might say that i think there's some who probably say it was a worse way of life that in a way this was a great deal of emotional repression at work that was not necessarily healthy but a recognition that um just because you aren't showing your emotions on your sleeve doesn't mean that you don't have them that there is some value in trying to act with reserve trying to act with a sense of um Prioritizing propriety and a sense that you give strength to others by not uh, letting all of that out. I, I don't know if, um, you know, if the, every listener out there is going to have their own idea of how to process tragedy, how to process loss. And if you choose the stoic path, God bless you, that, that works for you. If you let it out and you wear your emotions and heart on your sleeve, I, I won't give any, any grief for that either. Um, I think, I'd you know, say, figure out what works for you. But she you know, this was a reputation of being shaped by uh, the 1930s and the 1940s and this very different state of both British culture. And I'm sure the culture of the royals was even different from uh, from that of, you know, the, the common man in the UK um, and how you can end up looking at things very differently and being shaped by that experience.
0: Yeah, very well said, extraordinarily well said. And Jim, some folks are going to be uh, Saying things, and you know, to some extent, you understand it. Why are we making such a big deal about the the death of the of the British monarch? Yes, they're an ally, but we rebelled against the monarchy 246 years ago, or whatever it is now. And and of course, that's not the system of government we have, and it's not the system of government that we want. I think when. Not only do we talk about steadfast allies, we talk about people who have been friends of the United States. Uh, just that stability that existed in one of the most important countries in the world uh, is certainly uh, significant. So uh, any particular anecdotes? I mean, you and I didn't know the Queen, obviously. But is there any story from you know, your conscious memory or any other time uh, over the 70 years or even before that that, that you know of that, that stands out that kind of surprises you? Because I've got a couple. <laughs>
1: one that a question that came to mind i remember someone discussing if you could have any if you could have an interview and not just an interview but like a really in-depth conversation with some any person on earth who would you choose queen elizabeth would be a really good selection because not just of her you know time and experience of being on the throne i mean somebody once observed not just you know she knew Churchill, right like all of these people who are now long since consigned to the history books she not only knew but she had a personal relationship with um you think about all the world leaders that she had met over the seven decades all the people she interacted with all of the um statesmen experts uh great citizens of the united kingdom um she you know conceivably i don't say they just i wouldn't say this is the smartest one on the planet but in terms of just access to people in terms of meeting people in terms of and and having substantive conversations about british policy about foreign policy about relations about with you know the state of the world yeah you know she's got to be up there and in terms of you know just uh, just the amount of uh, the scale of her interactions and the scale of her representation of her country in the greater british commonwealth and in the foreign countries and you know um the, the queen miniseries that they're doing on i think it's netflix i'm not sure the crown you know, yeah. does does kind of touch on this, the sense of going back to her early days and all through the 50s and 60s and the interaction with the Kennedys, I like all of these figures that we now have in the history books, she had real relationships with and she could tell you, oh, let me tell you what Kennedy was like behind closed doors. Let me tell you what these, uh, you know, what, what these figures were like when we met, you know, I think. Um, you talk about people who you would have loved to have read an autobiography of. I mean, people have written biographies of her, but you know, how she saw the world and how she saw these figures through her own eyes would have been absolutely fascinating. She occasionally would give a story or two that would give you that sense, but um, just a uh, maybe one of the most fascinating figures of the 20th century and into a decent chunk of the 21st century. And so I guess by that sense, I wish I'd had a chance to really sit down and pick her brain because that depth and breadth of experience is almost unparalleled.
0: Yeah, that's very well said, Jim. And uh, I promised a couple of uh, amusing Queen Elizabeth anecdotes. I'm not going to disappoint you, I don't think. Uh, And we'll get to those in just a second. All right, Jim, time for a couple of quick uh, fun stories about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, One story that I remember well, and that's about our um, uh, favorite prime minister, at least of our lifetime, and that's Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, of course, is a strong ally of President Reagan. And uh, pretty much sided with him on all of his foreign policy uh, decisions. And, of course, one of them in 1986 was to bomb the Libyans for their terrorism around Europe, and especially the bombing of the Berlin Disco that killed a bunch of American service members. And so uh, Margaret Thatcher facilitated that mission without telling the Queen. And so the Queen calls in Margaret Thatcher uh, to whatever office she had at that point. And Margaret Thatcher quickly notices there's no chair on the other side of the desk, Margaret Thatcher had to stand there and <laughs> get yelled at. I don't know that the queen opposed the mission. She really, really did not like being kept in the dark about the mission, however. And uh, I don't think Margaret Thatcher uh, ventured down that road again. But it just shows that she was very much engaged and not just someone who you know showed up for formal events.
1: You know, Greg, it's just dawning on me that my home office doesn't have a chair on the other side of the desk. <laughs> I think that's for a reason. If anyone asks me, I'm going to say, it's because that's the way the queen has it. (laughs) Keeps meetings short, reminds you of your... Place peasant. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, you know, I, I, I like that story.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. The other one I just heard today, I never heard before. Uh, she invited uh, the Saudi crown prince uh, to visit her. And I think it was actually at Balmoral where she passed away on Thursday. And after their meeting, she said, Would you like to, you know, take a drive around the estate? And, and, and I can point some things out. And he says, Okay. Not expecting her to drive because women don't do that in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so she hops in the car next to him. And not only does she drive, Jim, she whips around the his state uh, to an extent that the Saudi crown prince was afraid he was going to die. So he was telling his interpreter uh, to have her slow down. So she she was, you know, sometimes you see this uh, image of her just kind of posing for pictures and she's this dainty grand- grandmotherly type, but uh, she had a feisty side and uh, just fun to hear these stories uh, on that side as well. Um, you know, on, on the more serious side, you know, I think she got a quite a bit of grief from her own family members in her final years, Uh, you know, not to go down the the ugly side, but it's part of the story between Prince Andrew and the allegations against him and and, and the whole Harry and Meghan thing, which seems so tabloidy compared to how the Queen carried herself. But, uh, you know, through it all, family, foreign policy, domestic issues, whatever it was, she was just there.
1: Every decade or so uh, over in the UK, they start to have uh a I do want to say serious debate, but let's just say a louder debate about whether they should still have a monarchy. Obviously, it is primarily ceremonial. Um, there is not a great deal of power, although I think if you're going to have a monarch, I think someone like Queen Elizabeth does the job pretty darn well, because um, to paraphrase the old commercial from the early 80s, and I'm old enough to remember when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. <laughs> when Queen Elizabeth talks, people listen. And as part of that, as I mentioned, that that enormous life experience that sense of um, stewardship over uh, the kingdom. The idea that uh, seeing re- leadership as a responsibility and not merely a platform for elevation. When you're born the queen, there's really not any ele- place, position to be elevated to, you know? Um, she, you know, that, that undoubtedly she was famous from the moment she was born. There was no need to self promote. She's the queen, right? So all of a sudden you are freed from any of that kind of thought to just, what is in the best interest of my nation and my kingdom in the long-term? Um, obviously, for very obvious and good reasons, the United States does not have a monarchy and does not want a monarchy. And I think it's interesting, you know, qu- countries can ask, do you know, what, what good does it do? Um, does it, uh, is, is there a reason beyond tradition? Um, does it actually play some sort of useful, Role in the national identity even if it does not necessarily have a particularly big role in national governing and that's that's really up for our, our allied countries to to you know sort out for themselves um I, you know you can uh, the uk has demonstrated that you can be a functioning democracy and have a you know king or queen in a ceremonial role no, so no. um i i do think the argument for keeping the monarchy was strong with queen elizabeth it may be a little less uh, strong. And I think if the uh, members of the royal family end up with uh, various scandals and cases of bad behavior, it tends to undermine the argument that the country is well served by keeping it. But uh, that's probably an argument for another time.
0: Greg. Yeah, Perhaps. But we will soon have King Charles the Third. The good news for Charles is he can probably do no worse than the second best or worst Charles since the first one lost his head. Uh, so, you know, the bar is pretty low there. Uh, and I think you're right. I think most uh, Britons and and probably most people are more excited to get to Will and Kate whenever <laughs> whenever that happens. But uh, Charles has obviously been waiting a long time and he's going to get his chance now uh, to be the king. But it's uh, an amazing, amazing legacy. So uh, get ready. You're going to hear about it a lot in the media in the coming days. And I don't know how much more we'll comment on it. I'm sure as as things arise, uh, we probably will. Uh, I don't know that we'll devote an entire episode to it again. But uh, also interesting that we've got a brand new prime minister who now has to navigate how to handle this uh, as well as trying to.
1: Yeah, welcome to day two, Liz Truss. <laughs> yeah, it's not what she expected. probably going to get easier from here.
0: Yes. But uh, the, the good news for her is uh, for the next week, nobody's really going to care what you say. So uh, go ahead and keep the powder dry and then. Keep moving on that conservative agenda that you've promised. So, uh, Jim, uh, this might be the first time we've ever blown out an entire episode. Like I said, we might uh, circle back to some of those topics, as Jen Saki would say, in, in subsequent episodes. But I think today there was no question that we had to had to do this one. So, uh, uh, always good to be with you, and we'll uh, do it again tomorrow. We're only going to do it every 70 years, folks. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, Thanks for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Uh, You can get us on your home devices as well. Just say Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Remember Jim's new book, Gathering Five Storms. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a good Thursday. And join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Former Trump campaign official David Bossie joins me to explain how the mainstream media is focusing on Trump because the Democrats can't defend the Biden record. I'm Sarah Carter on the latest Sarah Carter Show. I'll also discuss what Republican messaging should look like headed into November. Plus, I'll talk about the infuriating rise of violent crime that's fueled in part by Democrats banning cash bail and putting criminals back out on the streets. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.